Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Stelios. Hello. And Josh. Hello. And Happy New Year. Oh yeah, it is. That too, yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking about Europe's war on tourists. Uh, Miss Gay resigns, which... Sorry, that does sound like a villain from, from uh, James Bond, right? Dr. Gay. <laughs> What's he going to do to you, Mr. Bond? Yeah. I've got a laser that's going to turn you into something. You do not answer me, Mr. Bond. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then the last thing we'll be talking about is the Estonian solution, which is something I stumbled across. And uh, I want to present as a policy idea, which... Okay. It's got to be spicy. Anyway. Callum's policy proposals are always good. Yeah. I liked your feminist immigration policy. That's, that was a good one. Time for my second white paper. Right, we have an announcement to make though, which is the um, Thursday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah, tomorrow. So tomorrow at three p.m. UK time, we'll be doing Lads Hour again. So if you enjoy um, the typical shit show that it is, uh, do come and join because it is uh, very good fun. And this time we'll be talking about the Dino question. So the the Deans and the Dinos need to be dealt with yeah, once and for all. Only Connor knows what direction this is going. I'm going to be on it though. Bring your own agendas. It's just like, well, you know, we get a big field, and we build a big gate. Uh, <laughs> we put them out to pasture. Yeah, like cattle. Dino's gone to live with Grandpa on the farm. <laughs> anyway, let's let's begin with something less genocidal, shall we? That's probably a good idea. Yeah. So recently, there have been a series of measures taken by European tourist cities um, to try and deter people from visiting. And if you don't live in a European tourist city. This might sound a bit counterintuitive, and I think many people in Europe who've probably been on holiday there more than other um, places might have an inkling as to why this might be, because most of the cities have cited factors um, that are awfully familiar to the ones we talk about when it comes to mass migration. And I wanted to kind of pose the question of, hang on a minute, is, is some tourism bad? Now, I'm, I'm not going to say you know all of it is, but I think there are some cases where um, our same complaints for mass migration, so things like loss of local identity, inflated cost of living for residents, reduction in availability of housing, because uh, in the case of tourism, at least, you've got lots of Airbnbs and things opening up to cater to the tourist market, which makes buying a house, if you're a local, more difficult. Interesting idea. I hadn't thought of that, but you're totally right. Because you think about people in Cornwall or Tenerife or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of their complaints are exactly the same as people complaining about mass immigration into the country. It's almost like there's something about um, lots of people from elsewhere coming to a place changes the character of the place and makes it worse for the people who live there, yeah, but, whether it's temporarily or permanently. Yeah, but tourists leave. That's true. That's the big upside. So it's, it, it, it is one of the more positive points about tourism is that they go away eventually. Yeah. So don't worry, don't worry we're going to be talking about this. It's not going to be me just slamming tourism because... I go on holiday sometimes, so I'd be a massive hypocrite. No, but obviously tourism, as you say, the benefit is that you turn up, you spend a load of money with the locals, and then you mm-hmm. go off home, and they've yeah. got a load of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Well, we're going to be examining it, and we're going to be looking at what they're doing as well. Okay. And I think it's interesting, because it's, it kind of indicates, to my mind, sort of sea change in um, political appetite on, you know, in Europe more generally, because, of course... Um, with migration more generally, people are getting more and more hard line about it, at least um, certainly in places like France, for example. And so this also seems to be an indication that actually, no, we don't care if it brings us money. We want our local character. We want to preserve our culture. It shows that there's, there's a sort of fighting spirit to preserving something, something that's actually worth fighting for in politics, which I wanted to zone in on. 
Also wanted to mention as well that there are other negatives that go, go with tourism that are parallels with mass migration. So lots of strains to things like infrastructure as well. So you've got all the litter, the mess, um, general wear and tear of the buildings. You've got strained public services um, and extra sanitation to deal with. So it's obviously a cost, but is it worth it? Well, it seems even CNN are talking about over-tourism in Europe. So they're not necessarily even talking about it like it's a bad thing. That's the funny thing that a lot of the left-wing outlets are kind of sympathetic towards it, which is surprising. So maybe this is our, our avenue to get our agenda in, back on the menu again. But yeah, this is a, an article titled, These were some of the um, 2023's worst destinations for over-tourism. Here's to how to avoid the crowds next year. So I find that interesting because it's kind of Im implicit and, and fairly explicit as well that this is something that you want to avoid, right? You, you don't want to be going to the crowded places. You want to avoid these. You want to go to the nice places where they're not being spoiled by too many other people. Incidentally, do they make suggestions about where to go? They do, Do they yes. say that some places are not, over, over, uh, not represented accordingly into tourist destinations? And you should avoid European overcrowded destinations and go somewhere else. Yes. Ah. Uh. Well deduced. But you would notice something as well about Britain, and that's part of the reason that I thought about this, is that there are, um, I lived in, in Bath while I was at university, and I, you know, I was there for a purpose, I suppose. I wasn't a tourist. But I noticed that it, when it was tourist season, you would get so many people into quite a small town. It'd be very dense. And... Here is an article from three months ago in The Guardian um, saying the medieval city of Wells is named UK's top tourist destination. And you'll notice that if we look at the top 10, oh, if The Guardian will allow us, apparently it won't. Please give us money now. I'll do it later. Um, <laughs> um, all of the top 10, like Avebury and Wiltshire. You've been to Avebury. I know you have. Yep. It's very small, isn't it? It's like, what, 100 people? Yes. Like all of these places are sort of quaint rural villages. And do you think an influx of tourists will help uh, enrich the environment of these places or will it make it worse? Well, in Avebury, they've put up signs in Japanese and Chinese on people's houses saying, this is private property, do not come in. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that Chinese and Japanese tourists thought that Avebury was so pretty that it was a theme park and would just go into people's houses and people were like, I'm having breakfast, go away. <laughs> what are you doing here? I imagine that if I lived in a lovely, quaint place, I think, wow, I've finally made it. I've you know, got this nice house. The Japanese think it's fake. It's that nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, I'll be eating my breakfast, and then I'll be dropping my cereal on the floor. There'll be a Japanese man at the end of my table. I'm just like, who are you? And he's like, oh, a fever really dream. <laughs> be like a fever dream. You just got random Asians walking into your house. You're like, Where did you come from? Where am I? Um, as an example of how beneficial it can be, because of course I'm not going to give a one-sided thing. This is a a, a Devon and Cornwall tourism um, parliamentary discussion. I'm just going to read a little part from it because these are um, direct quotes from MPs in the southwest. Um, because of course this is an important tourist destination in Britain. I think Devon and Cornwall are known for being the kind of go-to places within the UK, both domestically and internationally, as the places you go if you want to go on holiday. But it says, tourism is a key employer of our two counties, representing 10% of all employment in Devon and 20% in Cornwall. So that's obviously massive, 20% of all employ employment. It goes on to say, um, it brought in 
around 7.3 billion in 2019. Obviously, that's significant because it was the non-COVID year, normal data. Um, and also, it was 2.5 billion from international travel, which is 3.8% of the gross total value added to the area. Apparently, that's meant to grow to 15% by 2027. So it's going to go up significantly. And of course, part of the reason that people go to places like Devon and Cornwall, um, I grew up in Devon, so I know it very well, is that you've got these lovely, small, quaint towns where it's very quintessentially English still. You're, you're going there. It's a nice experience. You get some ice cream. You go to the beach. I've just noticed that they started the debate by arguing about scones. About what? You see scones over there. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I had to translate. Oh, it's the, the Devon and Cornwall. Debate, yeah, they literally started it? with it. I know our two counties might be bitterly divided over how best to eat a scone. <laughs> Sorry. I just, it's just By so the way, cute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my opinion out here. Cream first and then the jam. Come at me, Cornwall. I think you're right. Thank you. Cream acts as butter, right? It's like if you were to make you know, toast or something, you put the butter on first and then the jam. You wouldn't put the, the butter on top, would you? I do love it. For people who don't know, uh, small parts of England have a bitter rivalries that go back hundreds of years of a random bits of food. Mm -hmm. It's just how that was just a, a snippet for you. But um, I, I like Cornwall. I uh, go there. I like the people. So Sorry, other than scones, <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump. But they're also running articles like this. Like here's the Telegraph, who's just kind of wrong about this. <clears throat> it said how we fell out of love with Cornwall, and uh, they're saying. Um, in 2020, Visit Cornwall made a bold statement. That's the, uh, the tourist, um, what's it called, association, whatever. Um, it became the first tourist board, that's the term for it, to explicitly ask British holidaymakers to stay away. Um, three years later, the British public appears to have heeded the call. And I think that um, the Visit Cornwall um, tourist board is probably right in saying that actually this isn't that they listened to the advice. It's more that it was locked down and people wanted to go abroad on holiday. They didn't want to stay in Britain, which was why there were massive spikes when the lockdowns and stuff were going on, and why they were telling people to stay away. So it's a very weird article from The Telegraph, but it's worth saying that tourist boards are now explicitly saying, leave us alone. I know this was COVID times, but still, um, there's still this certain amount of sentiment of um, you know, people in the West Country saying, oh, they're coming down here. They're taking our houses, them Londoners. A bit um, Somerset there. It was a bit Somerset. Yeah, I'd been too far away from uh, my my home county. I'm afraid I've somewhat landed in the middle of Wiltshire and, and Devon. But I think that there's a certain amount of um, resentment in lots of tourist towns amongst residents of well, this used to be a nice place to live, and now it's not because everything's geared towards tourists and not us. And that some people are actually willing to sacrifice stuff. So. Um, some places on the continent that are doing so, moving away from my parochial um, sort of areas, we have Amsterdam, which um, they ran an ad campaign relatively recently um, aimed at British men between 18 and 35, which they said they will be fined if they are caught doing drunken, silly things. And um, apparently, that's not all they're doing. They're not only going to fine British people, um, apparently there are grassroots organizations going around the center of Amsterdam and they just film stuff, um, all of the debauchery and the bad behavior and put it online and try and get press coverage, <clears throat> public pressure to get rid of the tourists, which I find interesting because we're always told, well, 
they're enriching the economy. They're, they're, bringing, us, <laughs> they're bringing us wealth. What, why would we possibly turn them away? Well, there are many meta-narratives here, but um, it turns out people actually like not having horrible debauchery outside of their house. Who'd, who'd have thought? So another one here, this is quite a, an extensive one, and I'll need to uh, appeal to you, Stelios, because the first one they mention here, um, this is titled, <laughs> We Spit in Your Beer, Inside Europe's Grassroots Fight Against Over-Tourism. And then there's a, a, a graffitied sign here on a wall. Tourists go home. <laughs> I've actually seen this in Spain before, where <laughs> they actually spray-painted it on uh, the side of a mountain, so you know they were serious, saying, Brits go home. And... Uh, it was on the way into like a mountain village. And so I kind of felt like... Not I don't, Gibraltar. No. It, I kind of felt like, I'm not sure I want to go here anymore. But I kind of got the point that, you know, in, loads of Brits go over to Spain. Yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't learn the language. We don't integrate in their culture. We kind of just set up our own parallel culture. I do love that the Spanish are becoming the IRA. So spray paint the local areas, balaclavas on, we're going to deal with the Brits. <laughs> Is there going to be a movement called Just Up Tourism, where locals are going to glue themselves in local paintings and statues? Yeah, I just say downside. <laughs> At least they're getting out, I suppose. So apparently in Athens, I'm going to read from this Telegraph article. In early December, buildings in Athens used for short-term rental were plastered with posters bearing what seemed to be official go government logo. The message was clear. Evacuate apartments immediately due to bug bugbeg. Bedbug, even, if I can speak, um, infestation, or face a 500 euro fine. Um, as, so these posters were fake, by the way. They were just putting them there to dis discourage the tourists um, and make them leave. Obviously, this wasn't an official thing, mm. but it was trying to get people away from an area which had lots of Airbnbs, because Airbnbs are the big yeah. um, bugbear, if you will, um, with a lot of people who campaign against tourism. If we make up a bunch of lies about how awful where we live is, and then put up posters being like, oh, it's full of bud bags here. And <laughs> we might be able to get rid of a bunch of people who have just turned up. That's, your, that's a race to the bottom. We're not going to win that one. By the way, there are lots of bed bugs in London, so you shouldn't go there, especially if you're a channel migrant. Yeah, but that's, this has really worked for us, because it's like, I mean, I'm sure you've saw recently, there's a lot of Africans making fun of Indian street food. <laughs> like they make TikToks being like, look how unhygienic this is. Like even the Africans are like, Jesus Christ. Surely I mean, the Indians can hit back and say, at least we have food. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of them. But I, I'm just referencing the point if we put up like, oh man, there's bed bugs in London, the Indians will probably be like, that's fine. But I don't think we're going to win that one. <laughs> More food, isn't it? That's the Chinese, isn't it? I suppose so. Close enough. So, yeah, there, it seems like there's some, some non sort of official stuff going on in Athens. I don't know what you think about this, this Stelios, but the, the sort of Athenian uh, state, if you will, haven't done anything to uh, combat over-tourism. Is this something that you've encountered? Well, because you are an Athenian. I think there are a lot of other problems that the Athenian state, city-state, and also the Greek nation has to deal with. And they're not ha they don't have to do with tourism. Mm -hmm. Tourism is something primarily good for Greece. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were showing us some videos before we started. Yeah, yeah. Let's, well, let's loads... not go there. <laughs> but if I mention it, because it is is mental. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it so is mental. It was videos of uh, loads of Middle Easterners in Athens with Palestinian flags on New Year's Eve. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing here? What the hell are you doing in Greece? I, I just, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that's the worst thing for us. But I think, you know, for Greece, you know, you, you need the, 
the economy to be generating money. And yes. as, as everyone and their dog knows, um, the Greeks haven't always had the best economic management um, by their yes, governments. But you would want uh, a Greek economy to to be good and competitive, so it is going to, let's say, carry forward the Greek nation. Mm-hmm. You don't want Greece to become just a geographic uh, region that generates GDP in the same way that you don't want that for for the UK. Of course, yeah. So, but I, I will tell because we shouldn't go on a tangent. I'll, I'll tell you something about uh, over tourism. This sort of messing up your experience of an island. There are some wonderful islands called Kufonisia. It's like the deaf islands. Uh, funnily, uh, most people there have the surname Green. It's, you know, in Greek, Prasinos. Okay. Yeah, but... Uh, no, I thought it was just a bunch of Brits. Yeah, but 20, 20 years ago, it was heaven on earth. You would have even mid-August, you'd have 200, 300 people. Now you, you, it's completely filled. You have to re- reserve things uh, one or one and a half years uh, before mm-hmm. you go there. And when you go there, most uh, taverns, they tell you, don't have half the menu because I've run out of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, some of the Greek islands get a real raw deal. I mean, they must make a ton of money, but you, yeah, some of them get deal. some of them get the drunk British tourists, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I've I mean, seen just one thing closely. I've seen a, a an inscription on a hotel mm-hmm. in English, in Greece, saying, "Please don't vomit in the pool." <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Um, supposedly, Barcelona is also doing something. Um, apparently, the city acknowledges there's a problem and has introduced various measures. They raised the nightly tourist tax, so they tax tourists per night, put a limit on the number of tour groups, frozen construction of hotels in the center, and tightened regulations for those hoping to rent apartments on Airbnb. So that they're the ones taking like the most. To be fair, anything to destroy Airbnb. Yeah, I don't like them. They suck. I, I, people might have forgotten they banned. I think it was Lauren Southern and a series of other. Uh, right-wing YouTubers were even using their services mm-hmm. for doing literally nothing. Like, I think Lauren just tried to book one and they banned her. And she was just like... Hotels are better anyway. Like Airbnb, you've got all these rules and they'll charge you cleaning charges. You go in a hotel, they won't do any of that. I don't know. I just, yeah, Airbnb do not deserve anything. Hotels are just cheaper and better. I, I don't see the... Depends appeal. on where you are. Yeah, I, I suppose. You know, if you've got like a nice waterfront um, mansion or something for a, a treat holiday or something, then I can kind of understand. You know, it's a self-contained thing. If you're just staying in a room, who cares? And um, yeah, apparently, uh, they're quoting here, tourists go home, yells the graffiti all over the old city, um, close to major tourist attractions. Your luxury trip, my daily misery, is another um, slogan graffitied oh. <laughs> on the walls. Um, can, we, can we put that in London? <laughs> <laughs> Your luxury trip, my daily misery. Yeah. We put it in Swindon. Yeah. I think we need it here. Um, apparently, they also acknowledge the other side as well. They say, those who painted this have never have been to New York, um, Berlin, London, Lisbon, Tangier, Istanbul, reads one sign in response. But they don't want anyone coming to this neighborhood. Hypocrisy is the worst way to fight against gentrification. But gentrification, surely, I mean, it's, it's got a negative word, um, ne- negative connotation. What does it really mean? It just means making a place nicer, really. That's how it's used in this day and age. It doesn't always mean that in the sort of objective sense. Like sometimes people, can, you know, lots of sort of moneyed people can move in and move the locals out. That does happen sometimes. But that's more in sort of 
the southwest of, of you know, England, where they're buying up all the nice homes, all the holiday homes, Londoners, people like that. But I, I don't necessarily see it as an inherently bad thing. And finally, Venice. Um, apparently, Venetians um, are walking a tightrope between objecting to over-tourism, which makes normal life in the city a nightmare, and the knowledge that the income from those same tourists keeps the city afloat. And that's not just a, a term, as in they need to generate the revenue to keep the city from sinking into the ocean because it's built on like a marshland, wasn't it? And so it's slowly sinking into the water and they've got to pay lots of money to put lots of soil or something. I can't remember the exact specifics of it. But basically, the only, re the only reason that that city is still standing is because of all of the tourist money paying for the fact that they can preserve it. Otherwise, a lot of it would be um, sinking into the ocean. Also, whenever climate people say, but look, Venice is literally flooding. It's because it's sunk, not because the sea level is necessarily risen. So that's worth bearing in mind as well. And uh, another one as well, certainly a very beautiful city. Florence has banned new Airbnbs and short-term rentals from the center. So there's clearly lots of stuff going on here and all a sort of comparable amount of time. It was sort of late this year that all of this was going on. And I just found it very interesting that Lots of these places you associate with tourism, with making money from tourism, that's kind of the bedrock of their economy. And yet they're saying, hang on a minute, even in a sort of potential recession, economic downturn at the very least, we're turning these people away. So it was nice to see that they're actually valuing their local community now that they realize that it could be under threat from you know, tourists, from people coming there that aren't from the local area. And uh, just to prove that I'm not being a complete hypocrite, Let's talk about the Brits and the damage we do. Um, the Brits on Tenerife holiday told to go home in the warnings left by furious locals. Here's another one. I lived on the Canary Islands before British tourists ruined it. Now it's ghastly. <clears throat> and another one here. Lanzarote launches bid to attract more British tourists months after the island's president sparked outcry by calling for higher quality of holiday makers. <laughs> I want a better class of people. Mm. I mean, you know, who doesn't? Yeah, but I think that complaining about British and Irish tourists, which it says in the first line here, we do go there and just get drunk and bloat up in the sun, like Lanzarote. big. Yeah. I thought everyone who did that went to Chagaloo. Like Lanzarote was sort of where Well, you we do it wherever we go, don't we, really? Like for a certain um, number of people, getting drunk on holiday seems to be the thing to do, even though when I go on holiday, it's like the last thing I want to do because you should be going about the place, seeing what it looks like not staying in one place and just binging. But that's just me. But yeah, as I said, it can do some good. Um, obviously, sort of Cornwall, England, Greece, these are all examples of places that seem to benefit economically at the very least, even though um, actions have been taken to push back against it. Um, and obviously, it's good that it's pushing the notion of pres preserving your community because that's what we want to see, really, isn't it? We want to see people appreciating the value of having a lo close-knit local community whereby you know the people who are about, you don't have random people coming in and changing the atmosphere that has been created organically. There's something beautiful about it. And unless you've experienced it, it's, it's very difficult to put a tangible sort of value upon it. But everyone who lives in a place like that knows what it's like. And it's, it is something worth preserving. Um, it's also worth mentioning, I haven't got, had an article for this, but places like the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania as well, all of the tourism there helps fund the national park's efforts. So it's very contingent on where you're actually going. 
Like if it's a major city in Europe, you're probably not going to be helping too much. It's already an economic center. You're probably just going to make it even more expensive than it already is. If it's a smaller place um, or it's not a touristy place, you're a great example of this, Callum, because you go to places that don't see too many tourists, right? Afghanistan, uh, places in Russia, Ukraine during... Yeah, war zones. Yeah. And I imagine that your money probably helps out the people who live there. I imagine... You know, the people in all of these countries you went across the Baltic as well, not necessarily a popular holiday destination. And so it's not a problem, that sort of thing, right? In fact, it probably helps people. Whereas there are lots of places where there's just too many people, it's making it not nice. So my kind of advice would be either visit some of these destinations out of season if you are insistent on going. Like I would like to see Rome, it's probably one of the places that gets over tourism, but I'm a massive history nerd so I, I want to see all of the the roman architecture in its flesh um go to places that aren't overcrowded and try and avoid busy places it makes it nicer anyway so that should be what you're, you're going for um and respect local customs avoid you know culture clashes mm. i whenever i go on holiday i try and learn the language and at least make an effort and normally it's co- sort of met with a, a sort of a smirk just like oh you british people are terrible but at least they appreciate that I've tried. And um, yeah, go to less common destinations. And they are out there. Like um, there's this place that I'm unintentionally going to docks. Um, the picture's not coming up, but lesser known UK town that's just as beautiful, beautiful as Bath, but without the crowds. And uh, there it is. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but there it is. They do exist. Enjoy the Easter egg hunt. Yes. I mean, you can just search the headline if you're that desperate. But there are places that aren't ruined. You can visit nice places. And I, I would like people to just be you know, a bit more considerate about it. You don't really have to go too far out of your way. I'm not saying you're terrible for going on holiday to these places. I've been to Venice, went to Prague in the summer last year. You know, I've, I've been to some of these places that people are complaining about. I've been part of the problem. So, so I'm not going to wag my finger. I think that basically these articles are really weird because it's like saying, let's look at Rome or a big city. It suffers from over-tourism. So go to that small village there. And ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. the village is targeted for termination or something. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm just giving you yeah. food for thought. I'm not telling you what to do. The millions of tourists go to one place. Look at this village that only 100 people live. It deserves to die. <laughs> I think I'm going to end the segment by saying the perfect kind of person is someone who's born on a spot and just doesn't move. Ever. <laughs> that, that's, that's how you solve this. All right, well, let's move on. And uh, let's talk about Dr. Gay and their plans. Professor a- Gay. Professor Gay. Yeah, and President no. Gay. Dr. Dre's <laughs> an upgrade. Okay, basically, uh, Claudine Gay was the president of Harvard and she resigned. But when you introduce woke people, you have to put titles in front of it. So it's not just that she was... Honorable President Gay. Exactly, yeah. So it's not just Harvard President Gay. It's the first black woman uh, president of Harvard. The first the second woman <laughs> president yeah. of Harvard. But they are actually honorifics, aren't they? You're yes, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's also the first diversity hire head of uh, Harvard as well. So I, I read that somewhere. That are you sure, own. Josh? Are you sure? I'm sure it's based on merit. Well, let's see. So Harvard President Claudine Gay resigns over plagiarism claims and disastrous anti-Semitism testimony in bitter letter 
where she says she has been victim of racism. But this was the lady apologize. who was arguing that it's perfectly legitimate to discuss whether or not we should kill the Jews. That's, and that, that's her position, yes. It and, depends on the context. It, it, wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't violate Harvard's uh, code of conduct, was her statement. And so she's a victim of racism. I think she would add, it depends on the context. If you're in the Reichstag, less so. <laughs> <Less tankular. laughs> no, no, she, she actually said this. She, she always said <laughs> it depends on the context. Right. No, I'm not joking. Yeah. I'll show you. Okay. I don't think she had comedy in mind, though, did she? Necessarily. No. She says, gay, I'm, 53, <laughs> lasted just six months in the role. The shortest tenure of any president in the school's history. So that's another, not exactly honorific, it's like the shortest <laughs> serving president of Harvard. I haven't actually kept up with this story. Who was she plagiarizing out of interest? All sorts of people. It wasn't, you know, the mustache man, right? No, it wasn't. No, no, no. 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 Okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know if that's where it was going. She has have... released a book called My Struggle. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> My Struggle is the first black woman. She hasn't, actually. I have a document by Chris Rufo and Chris Brunette who are writing about this. So for anyone who wants to, I'll just show it. I won't talk about it for anyone who wants to see a bit more about the allegations. Okay, so it says, Gay 53 lasted just six months in the role, the shortest tenure of any president in the school's history. Her resignations come 28 days later after a shocking congressional testimony about campus antisemitism, where she refused to categorize calls for Jewish uh, genocide as harassment or concede that Jewish students had a right not to feel safe at Ivy League schools. You remember this uh, of incident? Course. I know it very well. There were, I, I found the chant quite funny that was something along the lines of get the gay out of our education or something. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was a, a play on words that just sounded... Hey, hey, yeah. ho, ho, those homos have got to go. <laughs> I don't think that was it. <laughs> It says also in her resignation, Gay wrote that she was standing down after consultation with the school's board, which has been under pressure to replace her after defending her remarks. Now, what kind of pressure do you think that was? Headlock. Well, monitor. <laughs> okay. Let me show you. Oh, where is it? What happened here? Is your thingy not working? Yep. Oh. Anyway, so I'll show you that basically a lot of billionaire donors uh, withdrew their funds, the funding, and that was basically the main reason why uh, she resigned. Do you want me to move on? No, no, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Uh, now, one thing, because a lot of you may think that she resigned and she left completely. That's not technically true. She's still working as the janitor? She's still working there as a, pre as a professor. Okay. She operates the showers. <laughs> and <laughs> then, there is, then there is a question of salary. And I'll tell you that right now there's a lot of discussion and a lot of claims on Twitter about salary. Can you guess about the salary she was uh, getting? $1,488 per month or not? not? <laughs> Callum. <laughs> I think it's a bit more. Um, no, it's, she's probably on something like $200,000 a, a year, maybe, if not more. Josh, this is really bad. Is it more? So, what I'll just show you here is from Harvard Magazine. From, from, it's from University News from the 12th of December of 2023. That's just from Harvard, and it's from two years ago. So what it says here... Two years ago? Yeah. Where she, Last month was two years ago. She wasn't. A no, it's about the fiscal dollars. It's about the fiscal years. 
uh, when she was not the president. I'll just give you a number, okay? When uh, that was on the year calendar year 2021. Obviously, it's a bit different, but they're just going to give you the uh, the numbers there. The most highly compensated officials are the expected ones among Harvard leaders. Um, the president at that point got one million dollars forty eight thousand nine hundred and eighty five dollars. I'm very disappointed you didn't do the, the, one million dollars. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Evil one, yeah. <laughs> Plus other compensation of two hundred and eighty thousand. Let's say two hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, uh, dollars. So yeah. 1.28 yeah. mil. That was basically the the salary of the president before she uh, got she this. She was making bank. And she was there as, where is she? Let's see. Uh, Faculty of Arts. At that point, she had the very humble salary of $646,049 uh, as a Faculty of Arts and Sciences Dean. I, I, this is what I never get about reading these kind of salaries. Why the forty-nine bucks? I know it's a bit of a tangent, but like seriously, she's not happy with six hundred forty-six thousand. It's, like, it's, it's about inflation. Be, it, it's probably going to be. <laughs> it's a taxing, isn't it? Surely. Is that how they calculate or something? So after tax, you're going to be left with a, a round number. Okay. All right. But that's my guess. Okay. So Let us know. Anyway, just to show you that it's not that she um, she has completely been economically destroyed or something. She just. Uh, so she she went from six hundred fifty grand to one point two million, and is now back to six hundred fifty grand. Let, let me just be very clear: the one point two million is about the previous uh, president. So I'm, I'm seeing lots of figures, but because it's just uh, Twitter accounts without any substantial backing before, I'm just giving you this from Harvard. Okay? okay, they are saying somewhere like close to a million. Now it's close to nine hundred thousand. That's what they're saying. But I have to show give you a number. That is not just hearsay. Being a black woman is the best thing that can happen to you. So what happened here? Billionaire donors withdrew funding and Harvard board repeatedly supported her despite several plagiarism claims and anti-Semitism scandal. Now, um, do you think that it's racist that she lost the presidency? She does. Of course she does. And a lot of other people do. Let's see here. Um, Derek Johnson just got slapped with a community note for claiming calling out Harvard President Claudine Gay for plagiarism is nothing more than political theatrics advancing a white supremacist agenda. Let's just, can we click on the, see here, what he says, Derek Johnson, enough is enough. I have had it with his, no, sorry. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, enough is enough. Uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay is a distinguished scholar and professor with decades of service. <laughs> Austere scholar who only engaged in moderate terrorism. In higher education, the recent attacks on her, yeah, nothing more than advancing a white supremacist agenda. What's white supremacist everywhere? Everything is portrayed well, yeah, well, as white supremacist. You cannot criticize someone. It, without being called a white if, supremacist. If it was white supremacy, why would the white supremacists wait until they, she started criticizing the Jews or what have you indirectly to, yeah. to take action? Why wouldn't they have just been like, hey, this is white supremacy, so we're not even going to let you be president? It's like, no, not... Everyone knows Damn. white supremacists love yeah. um, Jewish people. You know the worst thing about uh, Rhodesia mm-hmm. is that if you were a black woman, you just, you just take over. Mm-hmm. And uh, get paid a million bucks. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Let's play yeah, the video yeah. to remember the 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 December five uh, tes uh, testimony of hers. And Dr. Gay at Harvard. <laughs> Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it and crosses is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. On the answer <laughs> is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers stop. across the board. So wh what I want to say about, uh, it depends on the context. Plagiarism allegations. What I want to say uh, where Claudine Gay oh, has had hello. to issue corrections, of multiple corrections. Years. Now, no, we no, should Fox note News. that um, well, Claudine Gay has not been yeah. accused of stealing it's anyone's the, oh, yeah. ideas it's in any of her writing. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, sorry, but come on. I, Dr. Gay. Yeah. Like, there, there has to be a god. Bring, I've, I've come round. Like, why is, why, this cannot be true that the person sitting there being like, let's kill all the Jews from Harvard is called Dr. Gay. It's uh, not real. The 12 year old so be does enjoy it. It's the yeah. wonderful world. Dr. Of, Gay gets a million dollars. Wonderful world like, of uh, crazy diversity, DI 21st century. I would also like to uh, come out in support of Count Dankula's comments about this that genocide is probably a bit more than bullying. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a strange yeah. question. Like, is it bullying? Be bullied. <laughs> you, you see, the counselor. But one thing that I want to say is because you know I was working for a university and she was a professor of a, a president of a university and uh, you know she made this testimony. You know, it's really weird to see the double standard and and occasionally it is. It's not funny. It's tragic and sometimes comic to see the double standard that uh, these people are using. The, the the woke bureaucrats. If anyone. Um, said something that disagreed with the woke agenda in the least, there would be no consideration about context. No, they would of be not. instantly uh, exiled from the university or something. But now it depends on the context. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. She is. She wants a kind of mercy for the for herself and uh, the people she claims to defend that she doesn't show to anyone she disagrees with. And anyway, I just think that this is uh, disgraceful. Now. With respect to the accusations of plagiarism, I have a um, an article here by Christopher Rufo and Christopher Brunette, who are talking about uh, this. They're talking about the several places in her PhD where she is sort of using phrases from other people's work. She doesn't acknowledge them, things like that. It doesn't look good. Shows a lack of confidence in her own ability to articulate herself, doesn't it? Yes, but you see, when you, we are dealing with ideologues 
who cannot read the situation and they always have to see things through, through the prism of their ideology and they, they just never look at the concrete case in front of them. Lots of people made this about racism, about uh, you know uh, conservatism, and you know you have people like uh, Jonathan Ch uh, Chait saying this is the kind of trap Rufo specializes in exploiting. He attacks targets that maintain high ethical standards, which he himself doesn't care about at all, forcing them to choose between maintaining the standards and resisting his nakedly political agenda. This Sorry, mate. <laughs> As if Claudine Gay did not have a political agenda. Please. I, I love it that American leftists always try and take the moral high ground, but then just immediately degenerate to attacking the right. It, like, it, Isn't almost, that a feature of leftists globally? It is, yeah. But, but it's always the worst people as well. Like, mm -hmm. this person had high standards, this plagiarizing diversity hire. Mm -hmm. Like this is the same thing with BLM. Which I like, was about to say that all yeah. of your martyrs are like guy who died from overdosing on drugs, a guy who died because he tried to shoot the police. So like, you have the worst people to sit there and be like, "Well, they had high medical standards." He was a good like, criminal, but they didn't like have Rufo. But, but they didn't even take drugs. But they didn't have a nakedly political agenda. They cared for justice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But justice isn't political. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing political about justice. Like many journalists, I've faced this kind of attack before with Rufo trying to use rather small factual corrections to support his farcical narrative of a left-wing media conspiracy. Well, and he, his response is, yes, Jonathan tried, I must have traveled back in time, plagiarized all of Claude Gay's academic papers, then implanted a mind control chip in her brain so she equivocated about anti-Semitism in front of Congress. It was all part of my sinister trap. Why did Christopher <laughs> Rufo do that? I, I don't know. Why would he go to all those lengths? Never go full cheat. Anyway, <laughs> let's see here. I have some bits here from Gu The Guardian. That tr What did The Guardian write about it? What did they make it about? What, as she's in, you want us to guess? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. She's a victim of mental health and racism. That's... That's it. It's a bunch of racist Republicans that are just like, hey. The campaign against Sorry. gays' presidency was largely promoted by conservative <laughs> activists. President Gay. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. It's still, <laughs> that's childish. You know, ima the... Imagine you have, you have the surnames of the candidates. <laughs> <laughs> Do you vote gay or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Can't say what I want. The camera. <laughs> The campaign against gays' presidency was largely promoted by conservative activists, including those who oppose diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. They argued that gay was hired not because of her decades of academic work and recognition, but rather because she's black. New plagiarism allegations surfaced on Monday in a conservative online journal that has led the campaign against gay. Following the initial complaints, gay defended her work. I stand by the integrity of my scholarship, she wrote. But it was all faked. It was all plagiarized. So no, you didn't have any work. Whatsoever. Your rainbow Reich is over now, gay. You were literally like, I'm here because I'm the first black woman. And then when everyone points that out, you're like, no, no, it's because of my academic work. And then everyone looks at the work. It was all fake, plagiarized. Yeah. Well, now what? You're literally fake and gay. And <laughs> like, CNN is defending her and they're trying to make the accusations sound a bit more severe than they actually are. Let's just look at this wonderful clip. These plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, 
We should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, she's been accused of sort of a, more like uh, copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy <laughs> attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. But nonetheless, you, you put all of that together. These plagiarism allegations. I mean, uh, technically, where he's right, Gay but it sounds hilarious. Issue- Damn it, this person has prose. That's well, what I did for my university dissertation. Yeah. I just didn't attribute people. Yeah. But I didn't steal other people's ideas or work. I, I looked at the the, uh, the things that were actually copied. And a lot of the time, it's like the, the actual structure of the sentences rather than the actual ideas she's expressing. Like She changed the context of the, the writing. I don't know why I'm defending Because it depends on the context. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, let's move forward. Um, anyway, uh, someone says here, Mark Lamont Hill, the next president of Harvard University must be a black woman. What, so, again? No, but there we are. That's an omission. The only reason these people are here is because they're black and women. Notice how he doesn't mention competence, excellence, merit, or experience. The only qualifications are ancestry and anatomy. Bizarre and regressive. You see, I, I think that's something that uh, isn't discussed a lot. That when, on the one hand, you are promoting a kind of agenda that says that meritocracy is bad or because it can't, we can't have perfect meritocracy, we need to have 0% meritocracy. We need to have the stupidest people in charge. <laughs> Not only this happens because... <laughs> I support that, to be fair. Because you end, you end up with bureaucrats. You end up with bureaucrats who just say, okay, I'm going to be your poster boy or poster girl. And, but not only this, but the people who get the jobs, if they have a conscience, they, they don't like thinking that they got it just because of that. I mean, I think people who do have a conscience do want to think that the things that they have, they deserve them. Which is why we have diversity hires that are so stupid, they don't even know if they had breakfast this morning. <laughs> I, I take the Labour Party position of I want sub-70 IQ people in, in positions of power. God, yeah. Neurodivergent representation now. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you, Joy Reid from MSNBC, she said that Claudine Gay's resignation from Harvard was part of a campaign to replace women and people of color with white men in elite universities. Reid accuses Chris Roof of leading this campaign and claims. Yeah, never. because everyone knows universities have been a safe haven for white men. Let's <laughs> yeah. look at the presupposition. It's like, yeah. past man, 15 years. I hate white men. You know why? Because they don't plagiarize. You know, I also hate them. They, they don't try to kill the Jews. That's the problem. Like, White men are disproportionately right. underrepresented in universities. How about that? Again, true. But it, what is there to even say? I mean, I mean, the progressive left are honestly just a punching bag at this point. Yeah. Like, I know how they still manage to run the United States somehow, which is weird. But it, it's not even worth arguing. They're just laughable. Utterly laughable. Now, a lot of discussion goes on about the next day for Harvard. Uh, right now, they have an interim president. It's, he is Alan Gaba. Uh, after uh, he is, he was appointed as new interim president after he was seen nodding in approval during Claudine Gay's anti-Semitism testimony that led to her ousting. Anyway, they are. <laughs> he was nodding along, going, "Yes, of course, yeah, you know, hmm. they should go." That's. I, I think I'd like to think he's going like that. He's got his eyes closed. Like these, she's hitting all the right notes. <laughs> no, that's I, right. I, I, I hasn't read the room. He's just got his eyes closed. I, I think it was the opposite. He was oh, right. nodding on the condom, on the oh, condemnation okay. of her. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say yes, but uh, I don't know about his agenda. Uh, I've heard that he sometimes supports uh, DEI stuff. 
and this yeah. I haven't uh, found a lot uh, so far, but he's going to be the interim president. But whatever happens, I don't think that Harvard will stop being a DEI uh, department. Uh, at the moment, that's also Chris Rufus saying things like, we're going to destroy DEI in all the universities. I hope he does. I hope DEI gets destroyed. But uh, I wouldn't hold my breath, especially about Harvard. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me more like it is an issue of targeting one person and blaming that person with, let's say, the gap in funding and billionaires withdrawing funding. Now suddenly all, everything's going to go back to normal because you could say that uh, funding was not withdrawn until now, mm-hmm. until these things. So it's not that Harvard became woke po- post-December 5. Well, the, there was. Um, oh, sorry, Callum. The people giving money to Harvard don't care about that. They care about if they're anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was the the straw. Yeah. Just to uh, to kind of highlight that it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, in 2016, I think it was, there was a scholarship um, to Harvard, which I looked into applying for, and it turns out the actual research that I would have been doing for this scholarship would have been investigating <laughs> rape culture in universities yeah. which of course is the feminist lie that yeah. there is a culture which promotes yeah. rape which is wrong because most people are negative towards rapists well, yeah, I'm so going to say that like a child because yes, yeah, most people don't like them. obviously most Europeans yeah well that's true yeah. no I, I want to say something about this because um, especially in sociology departments in a lot of sociology departments there is this um, push towards lecturers and also uh, people who are PhD researchers and are teaching classes and seminars to tell them that there is such a thing as rape culture in the West. And they are told to teach that when someone says something like that, that when someone says that they are pro-sexual abuse, that the men cheer for them. This is absolute bullshit. <laughs> Uh, it's the exact I, opposite. I've never heard okay. a man say, I'm in favor of that. No, but this is what these people are teaching universities. But okay? if you run for president of the Republic of Congo, I don't, know. I don't know. It's a vote winner. But they never go over there and do the research. It's a different there. context. Yeah. It's a different context, different culture. You can't actually upgrade. real problems instead of fake ones. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, and I want to say that uh, Alan Garber is going to be the interim president. I don't know if he is going to end up a president, but uh, there are some candidates. Let us see here if we can click on it. It says breaking news. (laughs) Harvard Corporation appoints special presidential committee to select more problematic candidates to replace former President Claudine Gain. We have Sauron. Uh, Patrice Cullors, Elizabeth Warren, Satan, <laughs> uh, um, Ibram X. Kennedy, Ta- Taylor Swift. I like Taylor how they Swift refer to Sh- Sean King as the Kang. Someone, oh, no, I like so- the guest. Someone called <laughs> Papus. A mask guy is just like, I'm guest. I'm joined as guest. <laughs> I can't see uh, that. Where is it? We have there. Oh, yeah, uh, I see it. <laughs> she Queen underneath. Where's the shallow barmer called Mike? I have no idea. No idea. Uh, must be a mistype, right? Right? Yeah. Representative Rosa De Lauro. I think she's wearing lots of colors there. I don't understand why Ron DeSantis is in amongst all of these. What's his? Um, I don't know, but I, I, I think maybe I, I got, think it's a meme. Or he's got the penguin to the left yeah. of him as well. Yeah, there we are. Uh, there we are. Yeah, let's. All right. Well, this, uh... and you have President Joe Biden there. Do you see? Oh yeah. And the third no, I don't line view of his ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> that was obviously deliberate, wasn't it? 
Well, let's uh, let's move on to a policy point. I have a solution, boys, to all of our problems. It comes, <laughs> Uh-oh. comes from the wild, wild east. The Estonian solution, boys. Now, of course, there are many solutions to many problems. The Rhodesia solution was a great one, but now we are now going to learn from Estonia. And uh, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, talking, of course, about Red Dead 2 players who um, have to walk 10,000 kilometers all the way to Europe because their country is better than Europe, which is why they're in Europe. You know, those guys. Everyone's favorite. The migrants. Yes. The, the endless, endless waves. And I could sit here and talk about, you know, statistics and stories and whatnot. But something happened very recently that I, th- I thought would be perfect to include in an explanation about why we need the Estonian solution, which is a, is a personalized story about how bad this place is. I mean, the West, but specifically the UK. Because the UK is an international joke. And I'm kind of, I fully embrace that American side of hating on the UK now. You only run into Americans and be like, ugh, Britain. Like, I'm kind of, I'm there. I'm there with our politics, yeah. That's what I mean. But like, it's just cringe. Like, everything we do is cringe at that Oh, yeah, of course. And this is a good example. ISIS fanatic who snuck into Britain illegally is given UK citizenship, despite security service terror threat warning. I'm surprised he wasn't given a position in the shadow cabinet, to be honest. I don't, I'm not really sure how that, so when you go and get your citizenship, you're naturalized. You go to an office and they play the national anthem and you are there and you, you can sing along to it if you want. Like, I do wonder if he turned up and was just like, can I have the Nasheed, please? <laughs> you know, that's kind of my music. Like, I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> the ISIS flag. And after he yeah. was awarded citizenship, he took the person who... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, wait, what the f- Like, of all the headlines on the world, I mean, that is a good headline. And the story is obviously mental. And they go into big detail here, but I don't want to go into all of that. Because I just want to get the cliff notes, which is here, perfectly written. So this is the MI5 dossier on a legal Sudanese migrant, the, the male represent here. And it's just the cliff notes of his life. So in 2005, in September, he entered the UK illegally and claimed asylum. And this was denied because we were living in the afterglow of the pre-Blair era in which people got <laughs> denied. Don't lie. talk about it like that, even ironically. But then, then the Blair era came and changed everything. And of course, by 2006, he was actually an innocent little boy. Immigration judge grants him an indefinite leave to remain in Britain. He claims to be a member of the Tanjore tribe of Darfur in Western Sudan, who have been uh, tortured by military forces. An obvious lie. The judge concluded that if he returned home, it would be reasonable that the likelihood that he would be questioned by Sudanese authorities and tortured. Uh, I'm sorry, this is obviously a lie. Anyone who can tell anything about international... Uh, mass movements can know that these people just lie on mass all the time. And you'll see why in a minute. Because he became a British citizen five years later. Sorry, uh, 10 years later in 2015. And then immediately went back to Sudan on a British passport. Wonderful. Damn, if I go back to Sudan, they'll kill me. Time to go back to Sudan. As, as soon as he got the passport, he was like, I'm going home. It's like a, it's it's, like a golden ticket, isn't it? Like he, he can just walk around. With, it's, like, it's like, you can't shoot me, you can't genocide me or torture me. I've got a British passport. It's like the closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. Mm. But obviously, he's got dual citizenship. He's got Sudanese and British. That wasn't his goal. His goal wasn't to get some kind of perfect immunity that is the British passport with its page on the inside that says, Her Majesty the Queen demands that you bear the pair of this passport free passage. That doesn't actually work. You can show that to a Russian immigration official and they'll look at you funny. Uh, the reality was that he just wanted a British passport and if he broke in and then waited 10 years, he'd be eligible for it. There, uh, I think what some people don't realize is that there are a hierarchy of passports, aren't there? And certain passports can get you to more countries. Or get you shot, <laughs> depending uh, on. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, but a British one is particularly good because we haven't made nearly as many en enemies as some people might suggest. Sure, but his again, his goal in this was not because he actually feared Sudan or he wouldn't have gone back. Of course, at all. So after he goes on his lovely trip, he comes back a few months later to the UK, and um, then files for a, uh, flies back to Sudan and applies for a Sudanese residence permit because he's so scared of the country, which allows him to come and go for the next five years because he, you know, he could be tortured at any moment. So he wants to make sure that likelihood is as high as he's possible. He's into that. That's why he's gone back. Yeah, he's actually just a BDSM fetishist. <laughs> During his stay, he's said to have received disseminated ISIS propaganda. So he's downloading ISIS stuff on his phone. And in 2017, um, well, he's got a bunch of ISIS stuff on his phone. And we know this because they detained him in April and checked his phone. And we're like, hmm, yes, this guy is clearly a fanatic for ISIS. He loves ISIS. Otherwise, why does he have so much pro-ISIS stuff on his phone? And at that point, any normal country would have denied his entry back to the UK, scrapped his citizenship, and said, go back to Sudan, you terrorist-loving scum. And, um, and what happened instead is that he uh, travels to Sudan freely, and then the Home Secretary is like, ha ha ha, fell into my trap, I'll do something. Gets rid of his citizenship. And then he tried to come back, and they told him no. So then he just broke into the country again. Oh, lovely. Because you just fly to Ireland and then cross the border, because we don't have a border. I'm surprised we didn't give him, him some weapons at this point. I mean, that's where we're at. Yeah. We may as well be arming them. I mean, so I, I don't get the argument. That, you know, just because some people in, a, in another place are engaging in warfare, that you have to somehow save someone. I don't see Highly why true. I should be coerced by the government to give my money to help people yeah. who don't care about me. Yeah. Like, even if he was so, in danger, we don't owe him anything. No. And he, it's like, was, he wasn't in danger. In fact, he is the danger, Skylar. Like, <laughs> him over here comes back to the UK. Sudanese Walter White over here. Yeah. yeah, even though we know he is the danger, the Home Secretary personally intervenes to get rid of his citizenship. He then just wins a special immigration appeal and gets it back. And now he's able to come and go, even though we know he's an ISIS lover. So, Wonderful. Okay. I love living in this country sometimes. It's, it's just actually amazing how, how bad our situation is. And you remember just how corrupt and evil the foreign world can be. And there's this story. Uh, slavery has returned, boys. Turns out all of our former colonies are just doing it because we left. They just don't care. Who'd have thought that actually Britain was a civilizing force in the world? I mean, it only has been for the past, what, 500 years at least? But these are the slave markets of Kuwait. You can find them on Instagram and other good retailers. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they say here... You're not sponsored by them, are you, Callum? <laughs> Ah, I'm just saying, that's a good deal. Drive around the streets of Kuwait, and you will see these women. They, uh, you won't see them. They're hiding behind closed doors. They're deprived of their basic human rights. Blah, 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 says the BBC. They're being sold to the highest bidder. But Blimey. if you pick up a smartphone in Kuwait and scroll through, you'll see thousands of their pictures categorized by race and available to buy for a mere price of a few thousand dollars. The first five callers. Call in now. Uh, an undercover, a undercover agent with the BBC Arabic team, uh, found that domestic workers are being illegally brought and sold online in a booming black market. Some of the trade is being carried out on Facebook's own Instagram, where posts are being promoted by uh, uh, algorithm-boosted hashtags. So, <laughs> Instagram's deliberately boosting slavery posts. Hashtag slavesnow.com. Yeah. You just... But, but no, it's, it's, it's right-wingers that are the harmful content. Do you want a black? Do you not want a black? I mean, literally... Sorry. It's all right, we've got, race. we've got diversity slavers. These are more palatable, palatable to our brand. It's not only uh, algorithm-boosted hashtags. They also use private messages to message each other, which slaves, you know, it's like trading cards. 
But the, the biggest sale in Kuwait is the For Sale app, which is just an app called For Sale. Okay? And on there, you can filter your slaves by race, you can filter their price brackets, and uh, according to each category, and these categories are obviously the type of race as well. So finally, all of my slavery needs can be met. Yeah. Inconvenience. Some That's dude, horrifying, by the way. Someone made this. Someone's, like a team of people sat down and were like, do you want to develop an app? And they developed this. They developed the slave app. This is slavery for the 21st century. So, my um, goodness. You want to read some of the, uh, the, the bios as you swipe? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, First bio here of an African woman says, African worker, clean and smiley. $2,000. Huh? Yeah. Very affordable. Uh, another one, Nepalese who dares to ask for a day off. Ooh, cheeky. Cheeky slaves out there. Dares to ask for a day off. <laughs> it's just... Why, or, or those who are avoid <laughs> with blind obedience, you know, and want some resistance. I, I, I hate to pick up on the quality of, of a slave as slaving, but why would they... Why would <laughs> they mention... Why would they mention... That she asks for days off. That's like a, not a good selling point. Like Maybe they've that. got a discount on her. And it's like, yeah, you know. It's got... explaining why there's a different price. I'm an honest slaver. I don't lie. You know, <laughs> a bit lazy. It's an interesting um, accent there. I'm not sure that's what they would have, is it? Um, well, it sort of more talk like this. But uh, according to the sellers, or the slavers, uh, the undercover team frequently heard racist language. That's the real crime, not slavery. <laughs> Of course, the BBC are here, but like, they're a bit racist as well, weren't they? They categorize their slaves based on race, but no, the language they use, ooh. <laughs> this is, he's a hard worker, Pat. He's a, he's a valiant... Ne- <laughs> okay, no, they said the Indians are the dirtiest, said uh, one of the slavers, describing a woman he was selling. I, I mean, you are right. It's a weird slave selling tactic. <laughs> Denigrate your own goods. Uh, you will find someone buying a maid for 600 Kuwaiti dinars, about $2,000. And selling her for one thousand quid dinars, three thousand three hundred dollars. He said, "So there we are. You can, uh, you know, do stock options on your slaves." And leftists have the nerve to say that Western cultures are the worst and most hypocritical thing ever. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I feel like maybe the rest of the world deserves the migrants, not us. Uh, Saudi Arabia. They also did an investigation there and found hundreds of women being sold on Haraj, which is a popular commodity app. So again. Blimey, That's the, the connotation there is interesting, isn't it? You can also buy slaves on Instagram and uh, Facebook in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the BBC team have since contacted the apps and tech companies about their findings. The For Sale app has removed the domestic worker section of the platform. So you can no longer buy domestic workers. So that it wasn't even just... Is it going to be sold under agricultural goods now? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, there will be workarounds. But think about that for a minute. They weren't just selling people. They had a tab. Like, mm-hmm. someone in the app development team was like, domestic workers, there we are. You can buy them there. Okay, that's for sale. And also, let me add just the wage slavery um, issue that uh, leftists have been hammering, bombarding people with, saying, no, you have a real, uh, real wage, it's all you're a slave. Don't you remember the slave trade? Yes. I can see it on my phone. Yeah. It's a bit dirty. Anyway. <laughs> You see, that's, that's, sorry, I'm getting pissed off, obviously, with this and the leftists because, you know, they have the nerve to say all this kind of BS all the time. Yeah, and then this is the actual world. Yes. If you just travel. And then when someone shows it, ah, let's censor it. So they, they messaged Haraj, the, commu- the Saudi-owned app. So the Kuwaiti one said, oh, very sorry, we'll delete that section. Uh, they, they messaged the Saudis, and the Saudis just didn't respond. 
<laughs> they didn't even delete the slave they're section. They're going to double down. Yeah, they were like, well, they're commodities. We're a commodity-based app. What do you want? Well, uh, I mean, they're bombing Yemen and hardly anyone cares. So they can probably get away with slavery as well. But, yeah, they should have responded just like, what are you can do about it. <laughs> do you want Call your goods to go through, um, you know, I forgot what it's called now. Well, the, the Suez Canal. Now, yeah. yeah. So the Kuwaiti government has said that they are at war with this kind of behavior and insisted that the apps should be heavily scrutinized. And to be honest, I actually believe the Kuwaiti government in all of this because I used to date a Kuwaiti girl and it gave me some insight into the specifics of the Kuwaiti state, which is that it's a mad place. But the big problem in Kuwait is not the Kuwaitis. It's not the incredibly rich Arabs who don't give a toss. They've got their own problems, don't get me wrong. I used to hear stories about if uh, the husband, the man of the house, thought the maid was cuter than one of his wives, all of a sudden the maids would jump out the window. For some reason, they just couldn't live. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, where the, the, the wife will throw the maid out the window. No, 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 no. Suicide. Oh, right. Ruled suicide every time. What? Yeah, the police will just turn up and it just goes oh, right. suicide. So they, they've got their own problems, don't get me wrong. But the actual slavers, so the people doing proper slavery, um, well, if you look at the demographics of Kuwait, there's, there's a pattern that emerges, which is that there's no bloody Kuwaitis, because why would there be? So if you scroll all the way down to, uh, I think it goes down to ethnicity here at the bottom. Uh, 41% Kuwaiti. So that's just a bit higher than London, being English. Um, and you've got Arab expats, and then Asians, South Asians, 35%. So this is Indians, Bangladeshis, and Pakistanis, who um, used to do the work, and then, well, just started importing slaves and organizing slavery back home. Okay. Okie dokie. And for some reason, check out Leicester, back to the UK, 10,000 people could be victims of modern slavery in Leicester. And then you look up the ONS data. Mm. Leicester East. So this is the data for white British. 33% of Leicester is white British. Have you noticed the difference between the East and the West? So over here, it's like 60%. Mm-hmm. And over here, how low does that go? 3%. Hmm. Leicester East is where all the slavery is. It's where the slave factories are in Leicester. I like how this is like almost like an apartheid city as well. Yeah. All the white people on one side. And then all yeah, of the literally just the Indians. 80%, yep. 60%, 70%. Yeah, yeah, it's a population thing. And um this this is one of the aspects of mass immigration. I don't think we talked about enough. That's why I'm bringing it up. But um, yeah, it's not cheap, just to mention as well. This is a Dutch study that found that they were spending 17 billion a year. So God knows what we're spending a year. Too much. And this is what brings me to the Estonian solution. Boys. I have come up with a new policy. What is it? I've stolen it. Okay. To be honest. <laughs> Where have you stolen it from and what is it? So the Estonians were occupied by the Soviets in 1940, where the Soviets just said, oh, let us put a military base in. Trust me, bro. You won't get annexed, bro. And then they just annexed. That old trick, eh? Yeah. So when Estonia got independence from the USSR, they'd obviously been colonized by the Russians. You can see here, it's a graph of the ethnic data. So before the 40s, there's only 8% Russians. And then all of a sudden, it jumped all the way up to 30% just before the USSR collapsed. And then post-independence, obviously, they claim that if you do illegal things, that doesn't make it law. So you colonizing us and forcing Russians in. Actually, that's wrong. We're drawing a line under it, and none of those people are Estonian, and they're not going to be recognized as Estonian citizens. So then you can see afterwards, a lot of Russians either left or had to become Estonian by learning the Estonian language, etc. And this chat mentions they didn't go quite as far as actually the logical ends, which is deporting non-Estonians. 
but that is a policy point they did. And as you can see, it worked. At least 7% of the Russian uh, group has now dropped from the height of 30 to now 23. So it does actually function. You can actually win back your uh, ethnostate by just... Uh, <laughs> well, Estonia is based on the ethnicity of Estonians. Of course, yeah. What else is it? And the details of this are pretty funny, so I just wanted to have a cursory look at the Wikipedia page, because uh, deep research, boys. And there's some other weird factors. So the Russians actually offered Russian citizenship to all USSR citizens. So yeah. that, that makes it easier, of course. But the UN turned up and said that the Estonians were being racist against Russians for this. And the Estonian government just said yes. And that was the end of the conversation. I imagine the, the UN would take a very different line in this day and age, wouldn't it? But this, like you're not being racist <laughs> enough against Russians. But yeah, they would. But I'm, this is the reality of politics, international politics, which is you're the UN, you're the EU, I don't care. We run our country. And the UK can obviously do the similar situation. And uh, I'm just going to say it. I think there's a case for an Estonian-type law that just picks 1997 as the year in which uh, we draw a line. And just anyone who came afterwards, I don't know. I feel like what happened to us was illegal, not in the manifestos of any of the parties that did it. And therefore, we should just draw a line and say no. Anyone who wasn't in Britain bef before 1997 gets deported, even if you're British. If you can't trace your lineage to before 1997, being in Britain, I think, yeah. There, there is actually a case for putting Tony Blair in The Hague and trying him <laughs> for crimes not only against humanity, but the British. And this being it. You've got very spicy over the new year, haven't you? Well, I'm just putting out a policy point. Just want to see what people think about that. Which, um, I mean, look at that immigration graph. It's just mental. Just like 1997, then something happened. Houses became unaffordable. And then, I mean, these guys just, I mean, maybe a show trial is in order for them. But that's a whole other ordeal. But anyway, I just wanted to also make the point that obviously. Look at what happened after, during COVID and after. It's like yeah, saying. People we, went home, didn't they? Yeah. yeah some people said, well, we were in meeting the. Uh, year, annual goals for it, so let's double down next year. Now, I'm not too hopeful that the people in charge will actually uh, enblack this law. I think it has to become outside of the Conservative Party, obviously, because you can see where the Conservative Party members actually live. This is Jacob Rees-Mogg. This is his uh, homeland. Um, for him, diversity means one Irishman and two Europeans. Still too many. Look at this. I just like anywhere else in the country, this is impossible. <laughs> it's comically. That's just where homogenous. I, that, that describes most of the places I, I visited growing up. When I left the West Country, it was like me leaving the Shire. Coming to Swindon was yeah. like going to Mordor. But it is, it is just like that doesn't, that, that doesn't work. What do you mean? Because 98.6%, 0.4% makes 99, and 100.01%. So it's, yeah, it's 0.1% rounded. Because yeah. of, okay, yeah. we're dealing with such small numbers there, that it's a slight error. But as you can see, it's zero point zero. It's like a tip. Yeah, statistical tip. Zero point zero percent Bangladeshi, zero point zero percent Chinese, zero point zero percent Indian, zero point zero Pakistani, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is where Jacob Rees-Mogg's lived. This is the really posh, rich guy who thinks diversity is great, and then um, or doesn't live near any of it. Diversity literally means an Irishman to him. And then there's other places in England which. Um, yeah, I feel like the Estonian solution would probably deal with, I mean, this area, 0.0% white English, Welsh, Scottish, or Northern Irish, or British. I mean, how did that happen? Mm. I mean, that's how it happened? Yes. Which, getting back to the Estonians, I mean, yeah. Yeah, having, having suddenly 30% of your country become a foreign ethnicity that's been colonized into your land. 
I feel like if the Estonians can do it, I don't know why we can't. I don't know what the argument is. We're not so, allowed. Well, the person who lives here is not going to do it. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to actual law, I mean, the UN turned to Estonia and just got told to bugger off. I don't know why we can't do that as well. But there we are. A white paper. Discuss. <laughs> Enjoy I think, this. It's, I think it's a good idea. Let's, uh, let's move to the video comments then. Hi, Lotus Eaters. Um, this question is for Dan. He's on the podcast today, and I hope that you get this oh, comment. He's not. Um, I would like to sell my art for Bitcoin, but I really actually don't know where to start reaching out to the community and even doing it. Um, would you be able to maybe do a podcast all about how to get Bitcoin, how to get started, how to roll in those waters? I'd love to learn more about it. And I love all of your segments. They're great. You're great. You guys are all great, though. Oh, thank you. He's not here. I'm um, going to send a message and make sure that it gets played for Dan rather than us, because I can't tell you a damn thing about Bitcoin, so I'm going to be useless. But um, good luck with your art venture, anyway. Fair enough. Good luck. Yeah. yeah, boys. Ping time. One round. There it is. People listening, we're just watching people shoot M1 grants uh, every episode now because I like the ping. <laughs> he likes the ping. Yeah, we like the ping. Let's go to the next one. So, recently, I was able to add uh, another pistol to my collection. This is a East German Walter. It was made in secret. It was sent to Ethiopium. Ethiopia has basically become like a dumping ground for a lot of uh, historical firearms uh, over the years, and we've been just importing them like crazy um, uh, in the U.S. Here's a West German Walter. Uh, it's here. It's it's the printed West German. And here's the East German Makarov, uh, the the official uh, pistol for for, the, for East Germany. It's very cool. I like how we've just got lots of guns in the video comments. Keep this up. I like that. I agree. It's good fun. Oh. Next one. Oh boy. This is going to be good. Steamboat Willie on screen. Come get me, you sons of bitches! I'm very confused. So, um, Steamboat Willie's out of copyright. So, overnight, he became a far-right meme. <laughs> so now he's the new Pepe. Oh, so, no. There we are. Oh, it's, it's the original Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got the written comments, I suppose. So, uh, Carrie says, Back to my usual routine, tuning into the Lotus Eaters every lunchtime after a boozy Christmas in Dublin with the in-laws. I will officially be able to call them that soon as we are engaged. Congratulations. Congratulations. They seemed happy to welcome a heathen right-winged conspiracy nut. Well, that's cool. <clears throat> uh, would the Lotus Eaters crew be interested in a selection of the Isle of Man uh, gin to celebrate? I am keen for you guys to try some Manx offerings. Wishing everyone a great 2024. We need a good year. Or in Manx, Blind Villeneuve. They actually have their own language? Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that was very nice. Um, we're Want always gin? we're always happy to have gin. I mean, we we have lads hour. That's probably where we will drink it. Um, I know Connor likes gin. I drink gin. In fact, I probably drank too much over Christmas, which is probably why I was sick for most of it. But still, fair enough. Right. Okay, I've got to read Make some comments. So, Captain Charlie the Beagle says, regarding the war on tourism, as someone that works in the tourist industry and lives in a well-known tourist destination, I, for one, am happy to see the, uh, the pushback. We have another issue um, of what was best described as the open-cast mining of culture, where every aspect of our culture has been commodified. That's um, certainly part of it, isn't it? However, I feel um, a lot of this over-tourism is a direct consequence of the results of lockdowns where people couldn't leave the country, um, certainly. As such, there is a big rush for people to travel abroad. Hopefully this will level out over time as people get to travel, um, get the travel bug out of their system or when the economy crunch comes. That's very true. And I also thought um, that the juxtaposition for locals between lockdowns when it's nice and quiet and then all of a sudden a bigger rush than ever before would be very stark in the, um, in the sort of Southwest. I noticed how nice and quiet everywhere was. Like you didn't have all these people everywhere. And it was just nice. It was nicer to be there. And then all of a sudden, when it opened up to tourists, it was like, um, you know, 28 days later, just hordes and hordes of brainless, flesh-eating zombies. No, um, tourists. It, it was a bit like that, though. Um, Cayman Claire says, um, tourism makes up uh, 70s uh, on my island GDP. But there is something to be said about um, quality over quantity. We can't stand cruise ship tourism. Don't get me started on the litter. They cause untold traffic woes in the capital and rarely spend anything whilst on shore. Air tourism, on the other hand, is another matter. They contribute significantly more to the economy. That being said, the sheer amount of tourism is ridiculous. Going to the supermarket recently made me feel claustrophobic over the sheer amount of new people. Um, shelves bare, roads clogged, beaches covered with people. It's about balance, but Cayman is struggling to achieve that. Yeah, it's one of those things where it can be done right, I think, but in many cases it's done poorly. And my point in doing the segment really was just to get people to think about where they're going. Don't really have any of the answers. I don't really know myself. Um, Henry Ashman says, we need to educate the foreign tourist destinations that they need to be banning the Dino, not Brits in general. That is true. Um, <laughs> just in general, really. You know that so the Ali G sketch where it's like we only get the fit women mm -hmm. and there's that guard who's just like fit, fit, oi, no, go back. But that, <laughs> but Dino's. Are those tight chinos? Get back. But just ask questions about like world history. Mm -hmm. So everyone comes in or something. Like, how much, how many hours a night do you watch ITV? If it's any, you're not allowed in. Name three of the members of Love Island. You named one, all right, you're out. <laughs> Even, I, I mean, I can do Chris Williamson. Modern Wisdom. Was he on Love Island? Oh. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn, we're all banned from Spain. That's all right. I've been there four times already. Got my fill. Um, so... Carrie Wernham says, oh, Josh, it's jam then cream. Jam is more adhesive and sticks better to the scone. Cream acts like a lubricant and makes an awful mess while eating it. Um, well, you, you get nice cream. You spread it on the scone and then you wait a little bit and then you put the jam on. But if you rush into it, it's, it's all wrong. But this is a science. We've worked it out in Devon with our advanced economy over the Cornish. No, I'm, I'm joking. I don't want to dunk on Cornwall. I like Cornwall. Um, Maureen Peter says, in the Netherlands, we are diligently trying to rebuff English tourists coming to Amsterdam. 
because a lot of Brits had come in there to get stoned and start fights in the street when they had too much to drink. Yeah, that's what we do normally as well. Um, it isn't that fun when you actually live there. Also, not every girl is a prostitute. I dress modestly and still people try to buy my services several times. That must be really demeaning. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing, I mean, but I feel quite sorry for you, actually. That sounds horrible. Um, not nice, don't get me wrong, but it is Amsterdam. I was half expecting your sentence to go, not all of us are, are prostitutes, just most of us. That's fine. <laughs> well, I, I can certainly say that many British tourists, a significant number are the kind of people who are drunken louts and, and cause chaos. One of my brother's mates um, was one of them. And so... Uh, they told me a story that they went to Amsterdam and one of them was boasting that he got a blowjob from a woman for five euros. But that's not really a, a thing to brag about at all. Yeah, on on every it. metric, even if you know, the person's not judging them for using a prostitute, that's a, a, a very cheap one. Yeah, because when you start thinking about it, you're like, good God. I mean, all the teeth missing or something. Like, how do you do for five euros? She, she was really good. She said she'd been doing it for 80 years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But there was actually a woman, I think it was in Blackpool, who was literally an old woman with no teeth. She got done for indecent exposure and then defended in court by saying it was all in my mouth. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, what a terrible day to have he is. <laughs> oh, uh, I didn't need to know that. Uh, um, Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> did, you see, did you see recently that in the news in Blackpool, they said, oh, Blackpool Tower's on fire. Oh, no. It's the Eiffel Tower of the North. And then they realized it was just a piece of plastic flapping in the wind that was orange at the top of the tower. And like they had the fire brigade, the police cordoned it off. This is like, it's just a bit of plastic. Like, I know we have a stereotype the Northerners are stupid, but. Do we? That is pretty stupid. <laughs> I, I didn't know we had that. So okay. No, no. No. Oh, all right. Well, you hear their accent, you think, oh, God, you must have never got to school. You've had a hard life. I think that about most people, Callum. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm only joking, by the way. Um, Sophie Liv says, don't know with you guys, but when I go somewhere, I never want to go to the tourist spots anyway because they're never going to experience the real country um, that way anyway. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I want to go there to experience the culture, you know, to see the history, to have an appreciation of the place. Maybe um, go to a nice restaurant there. I don't want to go to a tourist trap where it's horrible. She says, um, there are, there is um, tourist Mexico and real Mexico. They are not the same. Cancun and the small village of uh, Sanct uh, Paula, or is it meant to be Saint Paula? I don't know. Are two very different experiences. For one thing, the people in Paula kept looking very weirdly at me and asked what on earth I was doing there. That's my kind of place. Like uh, I like going to places where they ask you, so where are you from exactly? I want to be accused. Um, I suppose I'll do one more. Um, Alex Ogle, be careful about gentrification, Josh. Um, there are coastal villages in Cornwall and Devon where the houses are owned by Emmets and Grockles. Nice use of uh, the terminology. I can tell you're a local. Uh, the towns look very peaceful and tidy, but that's only because most of the time there's no one there. Gentrification is okay so long as people are moving in to make the place vibrant. The villages are just empty. No, I'm, I, I think the second home thing in the West Country is pretty bad and, you know, there's a reason that Londoner is a byword and a slur. It's basically like wanker for people who um, do farming. That's like our term, although I'm not a farmer. But still, it's sort of a West Country thing. Anyway, I've, I've read enough. Okay, uh, President Gay No More. Le French plagiarist. Uh, rumor goes that the resignation... Plagiarist what? 
LaFrench plagiarist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look at it here. Ah, the yeah. clue to a good life is happiness <laughs> in your asshole. Okay. Rumor goes that the resignation late letter was plagiarized. <laughs> yeah. A Arizona desert rat. A student can be kicked out of a university for plagiarism, so why wouldn't a professor get kicked out? The double standard is disgusting. It's not a professor, it's a woke leftist professor. Um, Baron von Warhawk. The same people who claim silence is violence are the same people who have no problems calling for the genocide of the whites and the Jews and sometimes the Asians. They're truly scum. However, the most important factor in the story is that Gay was only fired because she was caught in camera. I'm guessing the majority of Harvard's stuff are just like her and only fired her because that interview was just such a public relations blunder. Exactly, yes. And they did it after uh, the funding was withdrawn and the funding was withdrawn for that reason. That's a great point. She was the only one that's on camera. Yeah. Do you imagine if you see the rest of them on camera 24-7? It, it's not a speculation. It's, it's I know. Exactly. But then <laughs> we're going to bring back a third Harvard. Yeah. We, we joke sometimes about like, you know, you know, right-wing memes are a bit edgy or something. If you could get access to those people's phones or those circles to listen to how they talk about us. I mean, uh, a lot of them are expressing a uh, uh, high opinion of Marxism. They're Marxists, but, but, but they, when they, they're open about it. Sure, but when they tweet, all I want yeah. for Christmas is white genocide, and the headline is like, Professor tweets, all I want for Christmas is yeah. white genocide. That's not unusual. That's actually the norm. That's their choice for their sort of public-facing statements. Who who knows what they're saying behind closed doors is what you're trying That's to That's what I'm trying to get. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I guess it depends on the context. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I think it, a... it goes really, really radical and foreign. It's just them who do it. I'm sure she only wants a symbolic genocide. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin Fox, Professor yeah. Gay's resignation letter said she was stepping down because she couldn't breathe. <laughs> Uh, Grant Gibson, you guys are wrong about university salaries. They're uh, baked in raise and merit review processes that give you a percentage increase. Merit, in this case. Um, to make the math easy, suppose you started at 100 uh, grand, then you get 1.8% two years in a row. You're now at 103,632.40. Uh, okay. You might get a flat rate bonus for being a department chair or dean, but that round number added to a non-round number is how you end up with a somewhat random total. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Grant. Furious Dan, if non-specific anti-Semitism is okay at Harvard, they might be interested in some German World War II art. There are some nice paintings, to be fair. Depending on the context, she may like it. Gay may like it. Okay. Uh, JJHW, did someone pray the gay away? Apparently so. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the Estonian solution. Sure. So, uh, Rue the Day says Estonia is the only real country in the Baltics. That's the bar now. So, I don't know. I've never been to Estonia. I've wanted to go. I I've... think Tallinn looks nice. After, after my segment, can it, like panning tourism, I can't go now. I've got to stay. I've heard wonderful things about it and no, that it's no, very... There's got to be no one there, so you'll be fine. That's true. No. Sorry. No, no, I've heard uh, really good things about it and that it's very technologically advanced. They've got flying cars. Maybe. No, you're right, actually. I've heard this too. No, sincerely, they have a, like a tech sector that's really desirable because cheap labor, but highly educated. Mm -hmm. yeah. Although I heard a thing about Latvia, because obviously, you know, the, the SS Latvian division, 
that was raised there. Prolific, yeah. And they sort of, well, they got colonized by the Soviets, so they hate them and they still hate them. So they look at World War II in a different light. I do want to go see if that's real. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen, like, every year, the descendants of the Latvian SS division, like, put on a big show and it's like, I've known. They shouldn't be wearing that. <laughs> I've known a few Latvians, and they've all been very nice. So I'd be surprised if they were Nazis. You ever asked them about Adolf Hitler? Or I, funnily enough, it didn't come up. Um, Godwin's <laughs> law doesn't tend to uh, be met that often, except in this office. It seems. I mean, even this podcast came up in Afghanistan. That was weird. <laughs> well, they all love Hitler because they're just like, well, we hate communism. It's like, mm. okay, yeah, that's okay, a weird then. one. There, are, there are plenty of people that are opposed to communism. Yeah, uh, you don't see them celebrating Ronald Reagan, do you? Even though he gave them guns. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, American yeah. devil, I suppose. Anyway, Taffy Duck says, "Callum, you didn't steal the Estonian solution; you enriched it while preparing for your own tenure at a prestigious American university." Yeah, I'm not black or woman enough, sadly. Baron von Warhawk says, "Incredibly, someone in the UK government thought letting in an ISIS supporter back into the country was a good idea, showing you that the government has learned nothing from the lessons of Manchester." when the price of turning a blind eye to a Middle Eastern crook was paid for with the blood of children. Call me crazy, but I don't think an ISIS supporter coming back to the UK is uh, just here to visit Legoland or Stonehenge. Watch your back, boys. Trouble's coming. He'll like Legoland because um, Lego characters, you can take their heads off. So, you know, he'll like them, being a fan of ISIS and all that. I don't know if um, Mr. Warhawk knows, but that was eerily similar to an FBI note. So the, the FBI found out that the 9-11 hijackers were in the country before they did 9-11. But they were on the watch list already. Mm-hmm. So when they found out they were in the country but they didn't know where, one of them sends a message to the head of the FBI saying, he's not here to come to fucking Disneyland. I thought you were going to say they all went to Legoland beforehand. <laughs> was there a Legoland in America? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Um, I'll look it up. You're not wrong. There may be something coming. Lord Nerev, I think there were a series of terrorist attacks actually that were tried on New Year's but foiled. There's a Legoland in California, by the way. Sorry, I, uh, this isn't nearly as pressing as terrorist attacks, but. I do want to go to Legoland, California now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm derailing you. How much is it? I, I didn't check the price. <laughs> All right, I, I like Legoland. I've been to the UK one like 10 times. That many? Yeah, it's great. I used to go as a kid all the time. I've been like once. Well, I got depressed when I was like 13 and my parents were just like, we're taking Legoland. <laughs> Good day. Did it work? Yeah. Although they got rid of Lego Racers, which is crap. Anyway. Right, let's have a look. Uh, JJHW says, let the Anglos from other countries return to the motherland. Yep, that's, that's also a white paper I fully endorse. And uh, Desert Rat just says guns, which is a, is a good message, if nothing else. So $99 per person for a two-day ticket, starting at... Two days? Yeah. Or you can do $79 for a day pass. Why would you take two days to go around a Legoland? I don't know. Maybe it's big. Okay. Well, I have some uh, research to do. That's your next video, Callum. Travel, travel to Legoland in California. Full Star Wars soy face. It's just I love Lego. <laughs> anyway. Um, bye. Bye.